This is episode 219 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Men's Roundup 2018, Make Today His, with Matt Michelottos. This is session two from Saturday morning. Thanks, Jeremiah. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. I lived for three years in China with my wife and my family uh, as missionaries, and uh, which I loved, by the way, an amazing place with amazing people. If you ever get a chance to go, you should. Uh, But I had this friend named Adam, who's a a local, and he loved eating whatever the weirdest stuff was he could find. And even his other, like, national friends would say, don't go to dinner with Adam. Because he would order, and he didn't even always know what it was. Like, literally one time we're at a restaurant, I'm allergic to shellfish, This thing comes and it was pink and it was curly and it was meat and I had never seen anything like it before. And I said, what is this? Uh, And I, you know, I spoke Chinese, in Chinese, what is this? Is it shellfish? And he goes, I don't know. He calls a waitress over, hey, is this shellfish? She goes, I don't know, let me go ask the chef. She goes, she talks to the chef, she comes back, the chef doesn't know. And I was like, and Adam's like, you gotta try it though. And I was like, do I? I'm not sure that I do. Um, but so your regular restaurant in China is amazing. So the food is incredible. So fresh, the freshest meat you've ever had for sure. Uh, and what's cool is if you have kids, uh, there's built in babysitters. Like, so I go with our, when we first moved there, our daughter was three months old, our oldest, and we would go into a restaurant and the waitresses would come over and go, Oh, a baby. And they would take her and then they would go that there's these big uh, like glass banks that are all full of fish and they would just like show her the fish, the entire meal. So it's like every night is date night. We just like go sit over here, eat our food while you know the, the waitresses and waiters would play with our kids, which was great. But one time we went to this really fancy restaurant and the fancier restaurants have the more exotic uh, animals for food, right? So shark, uh, uh, turtles, like big turtles. Uh, all, all these different kinds of things. And you order them fresh, right? So there's literally a shark swimming in the cage, you know? And you're like, oh, I'll take that one. Um, which again, don't go there with Adam. But uh, we were there with Adam. And uh, I, I'm showing Zoe, my oldest daughter, all the fish, right? Like we're going through like this and she loves them. She's going crazy. She's a little older, maybe 18 months. I'm showing her all the fish. She just loves them. And then I'm holding her. I just stand with my back like this, talking to somebody. And I hear this sound, like thump, 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 thump. And I'm like, what is that sound? And it's coming from behind me. I turn around. Apparently, I've completely angered all the cobras. And they're striking at the glass over and over, trying to kill me. All of them have their hoods out. And all of them, are, and, I, and, and, and I was like terrified. So I walked at, uh, away from them. It was too close. And then I went outside and I got a taxi and I went to the airport and then I flew to America. <laughs> and, and then I called my wife and I said, there's snakes in there. <laughs> and then she was afraid too. Um, Keep your distance, right? Uh, and, and the waiters thought it was so funny. They're like, they kept saying to me, there's glass. There's glass. And I was like, those are cobras. 
They're like, yeah, but there's glass. And then one of the guys, it was the end of the, uh, the glass thing. He stood over here where the cobras couldn't see him. And I'm like way over like where everybody's sitting in the grass. And he'd look at me. He's like, look. And he'd go like this. And the snakes would go, murder you. And then he'd be like, ha ha. There's glass. It's glass. Just over and over. And I'm like, there's not always glass, buddy. There's a day coming where there might not be glass. And I think snakes remember. So, he is terrifying. See, it's not that I'm not strong. Just that snakes are poisonous. They'll kill you. Um, anyway, so, uh, that has nothing to do with the talk. I just wanted to share this story. <laughs> you know, last night we talked about the, the, the fact that our verse, our theme verse is this kind of scary, weird one for the weekend, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to talk a little more about that this morning. And then we talked about how Jesus uh, doesn't really care about us following the rules. He just really doesn't. What he wants is for us to be transformed so that we don't need the rules, that, that, that we, there's no need to walk through the rules because we would never do something like that because we've become like him. And that when he says those words, follow me to each one of us this weekend, that what he's saying is be transformed, become like me. So, so today we're going to look at three stories, three different stories uh, and we're going to move forward in this conversation a little bit. And the first one is one of the most famous Bible stories for, from John chapter 3, where there's a man named Nicodemus who's religious, uh, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, we know you're a teacher from God. No one could do the things that you do unless he was. And Jesus says, uh, I'm going to tell you something true, so listen up. No one enters into the kingdom of heaven. No one sees the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And Nicodemus says, uh, yeah, I don't understand how that's possible. Like, how do you crawl up inside your mom and get born a second time? And Jesus says, this isn't recorded, but he's like, dude, don't be gross. Clearly, this is a metaphor. No, Jesus starts to talk with him about these other things. In fact, here, I'll just pull it up here so you don't get um, my version, which is still being approved by the translation board. Um, John chapter 3, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they've been born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And that's how it is for everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, I don't, what? How can this be? And Jesus says, you're a teacher and you don't get it? Like, okay. I speak of what I know. That's what we do. When, when we get up to talk, we talk about what we know, and we testify to the things we've seen. And right now, I'm just talking to you about normal earthly stuff, and you're confused? 
How am I going to get to telling you about the things that I've seen that you haven't, the heavenly things? And then he says, uh, no one's ever gone into heaven except for the Son of Man, referring to himself. And, and then he says, let me try it another way, a way that you'll understand. Okay, let me, let me use a story that makes a little more sense to you. In the same way that Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, uh, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes can have eternal life. Now, for the rest of us, we're like, the only snake story I know is the one where the cobras tried to kill Matt and then the waiters and then all of China. Like, I remember that story. But what is this uh, snake story that Jesus is referring to? Right, he's telling this story that uh, takes place in the Old Testament in a story about a guy named Moses. Now, Moses and his people, the Israelites, had escaped from captivity. And we're gonna come back to that, that God had freed them from captivity. And what happens is they get out in the desert and, and there's no food. So God says, I'm going to provide you food. And he created this bread. It was like frost or like dew. Like in the morning, they'd go out and there's this sweet like honey bread called manna and they would eat it. And when they complained about it too much, he's like, look, you want meat? Fine. Here's some quail. And he sent them quail. And there were some, there were some like rules about the food, like only eat as much as you need it. Don't take, you know, don't take six plates of manna, leave some for everybody else, like this kind of stuff. But the fact is God provided this food. And there's this story at a certain point where uh, the, God's people are wandering through the desert and they're starting to complain. And what they say, I love this, it's so funny. They say, there's no food and also manna is terrible, right? There's nothing to eat and we hate honey bread of which there is plenty, but there's no food. And God says, yeah, okay, let's see how you feel about snakes. <laughs> and uh, he sends a bunch of poisonous snakes in and they start biting people and they fall down and they're getting all swollen and dying. And uh, then the people go to Moses, those who are you know, on stilts, and they say, <laughs> Moses, we changed our minds. We love honey bread. Please, please let God know. We'd like to return the snakes and have the honey bread. And Moses says, yeah, okay. I'll talk to God and see what God says. So Moses goes to God. He says, God, they want the honey bread again. And God says, oh, really? Huh. Surprising. Are you sure you don't want more snakes? I've got plenty. No, no. They'd really like the honey bread. Okay. Also, they'd like to stop dying. Okay. We're, I think we can do both those things. Here, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, stick it up in the camp. Moses says, uh, uh, okay. And then what? And then have all the people turn and look at the bronze snake. And anyone who looks at the bronze snake, they'll be fine. Moses is like, okay. You're God, I'm Moses, I do what you say. So let's, do, let's try that. So he goes and he makes a bronze snake, which I, God was being nice because that's basically going like this, right? With hot bronze. And then he sticks it up on a stake, goes over here, puts it in the ground, and he starts going around to all the people. Hey, oh, you on the ground, you're clearly dying. Uh, just kind of turn over and look over there at the pole and the snake and you'll be fine and tomorrow honey bread. And... and, and and everyone who did it, they were saved. They were fine. 
God save them. But I don't know, if it's like the churches I've been in, I'm guessing Moses would come to some people, hey, hey, just turn and look at the snake and you'll be fine. And they go like, I have some theological questions about that, Moses. And he's like, your leg is getting real swollen. Yeah, but I think I have six to 10 minutes and I'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess. I have a question. Uh, how does the, what are the soteriological implications of this? If I, do I have to be chosen to turn and look uh, at, at this? Uh, have I already been chosen? Is this a foregone conclusion? How does this work precisely? And when I look at the snake, is it the snake itself or is it the action of me turning to look at the snake that causes me to be saved? And where is the power? Is the power within the snake itself? Uh, or is this something that God has designed to allow me to uh, find salvation? And, and after this, if I'm bitten by a snake again, do I have to continue to look at the snake? Or am I like good now? And I can like harass the snakes and be fine. And Moses says, I don't know, man. Just turn and look. It seems pretty easy. Also, you're your arm's starting to get swollen and I can't understand you as clearly anymore. Like, could you just turn and look at the snake and you'll be saved? And the guy's like, can you help me? I can't roll over anymore. So yeah, sure. Helps him turn and look. So Jesus says uh, to Nicodemus, do you remember that story? And Nicodemus is like, oh yeah, that's a funny one. He says, uh, in the same way, the Son of Man, Jesus, myself, is going to be raised up and put somewhere that if anyone in the world turns to look, they're going to be saved. They're going to be born again. That's what I'm saying. And Nicodemus starts to understand, and Jesus goes on from there to say some of the most famous verses in Scripture, right? Because God loved the world so much that he sent his only Son that anyone who believes, they don't have to die they can live forever, right? And it goes on from there. Uh, it's famous enough that people hold it up at, at baseball games. Like, we, it's really, uh, it's gone viral. Um, so th this is a way that Jesus saves. And Jeremiah was saying last night, do you remember he said, uh, Jesus has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. That there's not just one type of salvation. Like, Jesus is all, he's like an expert saver. He's doing all sorts of different ways of saving. And one of those ways is that he saves us from death. And that's, that's what this story about with Nicodemus. And now, I, there's another Moses story I want to look at, and that's in Exodus 3. So we did John 3, and then we're going to do Exodus 3. Moses, uh, if you don't know the story of Moses, he's a guy, he's from Israel, but his people live in Egypt. And the Egyptians have enslaved the, uh, the Israelite people. And Moses, when he's really little, is actually, uh, there's sort of a law going around that they're meant to murder the children. And his mom instead wisely keeps him as long as she can, then puts him in a, uh, you know, a, a small watercraft, uh, a, a little basket, and puts him in the river. And eventually what happens is one of the Pharaoh, the, the Egyptian ruler's daughters, comes along and finds the baby and, and decides she wants to keep him. And she names him Moses, which means he came out of the water, right? That's his name. Oh, what baby is that? Uh, this, is, this is water baby. <laughs> Why did you name him that? I found him in the water. <laughs> okay. 
and so Moses grows up in Egypt uh, as an Egyptian, but always knowing that his people are God's people, the Israelites. And one day Moses sees an Egyptian slave driver mistreating a uh, Israelite, and Moses gets so angry that he goes and he murders that guy, kills him, and he buries him in the sand. And later, he sees two Israelites fighting, you know, a few days later, and he's like, stop fighting, we're all on the same team. And they're like, what are you going to do, kill us and bury us in the sand? He's like, oh, saw that, huh? Uh, Also, if Pharaoh finds out, he will kill me and bury me in the sand. So he went out and got a taxi and then got a train, or, you know, train to the flight to fly him out to the middle of the desert. And uh, he's hiding out in the desert, essentially. He makes a new life there. He gets married, and he becomes a shepherd. He's just taking care of flocks all the time. And one day, uh, which is where Exodus 3 picks up, he's walking along, and he sees off in the distance this bush that's on fire, which he lived in the desert, and the desert is terrible, and sometimes things catch on fire, and there's no water. So it just burns till it's done, and it gets to the sand, and it can't burn that, and we're good. Um, so he's, you know, he's walking around with his sheep, but he keeps looking and seeing that it's still burning, and it doesn't seem to be burning out, and it's the same bush, and he says, I'm going to turn aside and go see what this strange thing is. And so he goes to this bush, and as he gets closer, he hears a voice saying, Moses, Moses, and he goes, yeah, present, here I am, and the voice from the bush says, take off your shoes, where you're standing is holy ground, you're about to have an encounter with God, a message, so he does, he does, right, he takes off his shoes, and then, you know, for us, it'd be taking off our hats, maybe, It's like a a way of showing respect that he's going to listen now to what God has to say. And that's what happens. God says this, don't come any closer, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. Apparently he was fine with burning bushes that spoke to him, but as soon as it was like, hello, it's me, God, he was like, oh no. He's terrified, and he hides his face. He stops looking at the burning bush, and God says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt, just like Moses had. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come to rescue them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, because the Israelites' cry have reached me. I've seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So basically, Moses saw this thing and was concerned about it, right? His people are being oppressed by his other people. And he, in his anger, even did something horrific. He killed someone, right? And then ran to escape the consequences of it. And then he has this encounter with God where God says, everything's about to change, Moses. You've been a shepherd. You've been with your wife and your family and taking care of your sheep. 
And now you've had an encounter with the living God and everything's about to change. And Moses is terrified. He's terrified. And God says, here's here's what's going to happen. I've seen the same thing, the same problem, and I'm going to fix it, and you're going to be my spokesperson. And, And Moses immediately starts coming up with a lot of excuses why this is maybe not a good idea, because he's terrified. He's like, yeah, but if I go and I talk to the Israelites, who should I say you are? Like, I don't even know your name. And God's like, yeah, my name is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. And is that not enough for you? Like, go tell them, the God who says, I am sent me. And Moses is like, okay, that's hard to argue with. And then, and then he just keeps coming up with more stuff, right? Like, he's like, I don't think it's good for me to do it. Like, I stutter. And, and God keeps saying, it's going to be fine. And he's like, well, well what, uh, how, how do I show him, like, power? And he's like, do you have your staff? He's like, yeah. Throw it on the ground. Okay. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. He's like, I don't like that. And God says pick up the snake. He's like, I don't like that either. He said, pick it up. He picks it up. It turns into a staff again. He's like, that's cool. And then he's, uh, uh, what if if they're not impressed by it? My staff is vaguely snake-shaped. What if they're not impressed? He said, take your hand, okay? Put it inside your hoodie. He's like, yeah. Like this? Yes. Now pull it out again. He's like, Whoa, I have a horrific skin disease called leprosy, which is highly contagious, and I can't feel my hand anymore, and I don't like that. God says, put your hand back inside. Okay, now pull it out. Now it's fine. Yeah, okay. And then he just keeps giving him more and more of these things, right? And then he's still like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can pull this off. And God finally says, God gets angry. And he goes, you don't want to do it. Fine. Your brother's coming. We'll use your brother. I'll tell you what to say, and you stutter it out to your brother, and then he can go tell everybody else. (laughs) And Moses is like, sounds good. (laughs) So so that's where we come to this thing where, where Jesus talks about salvation in many different ways, right? There's being saved from death. Look to the snake on on this pole and you'll be saved. Or turn and look to Jesus and you'll be saved. You don't have to die. You can live forever, right? You can be born again. And then there's this other kind of salvation where it talks about, okay, we did that. You're fine now. You're not going to die. You have eternal life. You're going to be with God forever. And that's this unbreakable thing. We're finished. You did that good job. God did that good job. And then there's this other piece about captivity, that we're slaves, that we've been captured by different things in our lives. And God says, I want to save you from that too. But that's not a one and done thing. You don't just turn and look at me on the cross and then all of a sudden you never do all these things that you don't actually want to do anymore. And I think most of us have something in our life that we're like, man, why can I not control my anger toward my family? Oh, why why am I incapable of breaking free of the ways I think about sex that I know are not good? How, How is it that I'm so prideful all the time that I think I'm better than everyone, smarter, better looking? I don't know better at shooting guns, whatever. 
What? Maybe you are. I have no idea. Why do I have these places in my life that don't seem to change, that I can't get free of, that I can't be transformed? And, and Jesus wants to save us from those things too. Not because he, not because he wants to, you to follow the rules, but because he wants you to be transformed and to have something better. He doesn't want you to be fighting and struggling with these things. He wants to take it away. And, and that's where our theme verses come in. So Philippians 2, let's look at, look at that. Let's see what we can discover about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of times when we hit one of these verses that's so confusing and weird, part of the key is reading what's around it, right? You take lots of verses, just the one verse, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like my daughter is a terrible, terrible eavesdropper. And by that, I mean not that she's not able to hear, but that she's terrible at understanding what's being said. She'll walk into the kitchen as my wife and I are like, yeah, I think we need to put that down. And she'll say like, you're gonna kill me and the other siblings? <laughs> no, honey. No, that's really out of context. We were talking about moving mom's cake, cake plate from on top of the you know, cabinets here onto the counter where she can reach it. Oh yeah, that's, that's different than murdering all your children. <laughs> Well, some context would have helped, right? If you're going to eavesdrop, please eavesdrop to the entire conversation. That's what I always say. I'm glad you're eavesdropping, but listen more. Um, this is what Paul says. We're going to work up to our verse. He starts with this, uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vanity, conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as more than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, not taking care of yourself, but each of you taking care of the interests of the others around you. And in your relationships with one another, you should have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped or held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance, oh, yeah, he took on human likeness, right? He became human. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay. Hmm. Okay, it sounds a little less scary with all the context. Um, Paul, who wrote this part of Scripture, is telling us this. 
if you're becoming like Jesus, here's a description of what you'll look like because here's a description of Jesus, right? A person who's humble, a person who is looking to the needs of those around him, a person who is loving and not selfish and not conceited, uh, which is fascinating since he's literally the best, that he's not conceited, not prideful, and that being in very nature God, that's not something he made a big deal out of and and said, uh, I'm going to hold on to this at the expense of everything, but instead humbled himself, humbled himself, humble, obedient, and therefore God exalted him. And, And then he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. So what he's saying is that we're not talking about living forever. That's a given. We've already accomplished this. Everyone Paul's talking to, he's like, I know you've looked at the snake. I know you've looked up at Jesus on the cross. That's not the kind of salvation he's talking about. He's not saying, hey, you got to work to be saved, to live forever. It's done. That's God's work. He said, now let's talk about salvation in the sense of God saving you from the places we're stuck, the places we're broken and can't seem to get fixed, the places where we're slaves, where we're captive, that we can't get free no matter what we try. He says, I've heard you crying out and I've come to set you free. But why fear and trembling? Why fear and trembling? Why work it out with fear and trembling? I think actually this is a key thing about human transformation in the presence of Christ. What was Moses' experience when he came near to the burning bush? He was terrified. So many times in Scripture, when someone finally realizes who Jesus really is, what is their response? They're terrified. So often, the, the most often repeated command in Scripture is don't be afraid. Why? Because scripture is largely a story about human beings coming into an intersection with the divine being. And when that happens, we're scared. So when Paul tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying, hey, work hard and be scared God will punish you if you don't, which is how I think a lot of us read it. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm really wrestling with being angry. So I got to work hard and not being angry. Otherwise, God's going to give me a flat tire and possibly send snakes, catch me on fire. Like, I'm not sure. Something bad. But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is this. If you want to be transformed, if you want to be changed, if you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to be set free... Come close to Christ. Don't just look at the cross. Come into his presence. And when we come into his presence, sometimes it's terrifying because everything's about to change. And because we see the glory of God face to face. And Moses looked away in this moment, but we see elsewhere in scripture where it says God thought of Moses as his friend because unlike everyone else he spoke to God face to face 
And Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And he came specifically to speak to us face to face because of God's love for us. So when we say work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what we're saying is, are you stuck? Are you not changing? Are you not becoming more like Christ? Do you want to be saved from those things in your life? Then what you should be experiencing is coming so close to God that you're afraid. And if you're never afraid in your life, if you're never afraid in your spiritual journey, then we have to ask the question, how close to God are you getting? And this isn't something that changes with maturity. This isn't something, you know, one of your friends that you really trust and love, your pastor or someone else, that you look at them and go, wow, they've really discovered what it means to be Christ-like. Tell you the truth, these people are still afraid when they're pushing in with Christ to become more like him. It's the human reaction to the divine. It's normal, it's ordinary, it's common. But God's response is almost always, don't be afraid, because something good is coming from this, right? It's not about the cost of following, it's about the cost of not following. That's where, that's where Jesus takes us. So we need to learn to push in to the presence of God, to get as close to him as we possibly can. And notice, too, that it says, um, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you. We get caught up in thinking, I'm broken, I need to work harder. That's not what God says. God says, you're broken, you're captive, you're, you're hurting, you, you need to be transformed. Come closer to me and I will do the work. And I'll be honest, I think coming closer to Christ could be harder than trying to do the work yourself, which honestly may be the reason that we default to that. It's better to say, I can do this myself and be reliant on myself and then be disappointed when I don't quite make it than to say, I can't do it myself. Let's see what God can do and trust that this is out of my control. Let's see what God does with it. Now, I know for some of you, you're probably thinking, that's all well and good, Matt, but it's practically a metaphor. Like, how do I come close to God? I don't even know how to do that. What does that mean? And how exactly does faith and works work together? Those are really excellent questions that I'm not going to answer. Listen, there's a whole bunch of people here who are on the same journey, all of us together. One of the beautiful things about getting to know God is that it's a relationship, which means some of us, someone who's been a believer for a day might know something about Jesus that I don't because of their experience and where he intersected with them. So you can grab literally anyone here who's trying to follow Jesus and talk to them about those questions, and you guys can share with each other your insights and wisdom and knowledge and the things you've learned. Because what did Jesus say? He said, we testify to the things we have seen. We bring our story into it. And also, if you look at some of the, uh, the breakouts, the seminars, what are they called? Action the action workshops. 
for this afternoon. For instance, Gary Brashears, who's incredible, is doing one about faith and works and how they go together. And uh, what Gary will do is he'll put a bunch of Bible verses up and your brain will hurt. And then he'll say, what do you think all this says? And you'll say, I think it says this. He's like, yeah, but what about that Bible verse? And what he's going to do is he's going to help you to see the places where what you believe and what the Bible say are different. And then say, what do you want to do about that? Gary's spectacular at it. He was one of my seminary profs. So that's well worth your time. So, so all that to say this. When I am afraid of something, anything, my first instinct is either to fight or to run. Right? Fight or flight. You already know my first instinct because you have heard my story of what happened when I saw cobras. I run as far and as fast as I can. And you might be someone that fights. And that's an instinct we have to work on in our relationship with Christ. That when he's coming closest and telling us who he is, knowing that we'll have a burning desire to become like him, that we become afraid sometimes. And then we say, I need to get away from you for a while. I'm going to run. Or I'm going to fight you, God. What you're saying is not true. That's not an issue for me. You can't stop me. What I know is right. I don't believe that. That's not correct. I'm going to find a book that agrees with me and not with you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to find some guys who back me up or who have the same issues and are going to tell me that I'm right because they're right. Yeah, those things we need to set aside. And we need to come into the presence of God and take off our shoes and take off our hats. And when he says our name, that we say, I'm here. And then let him speak the words that will change us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't want to keep our distance from you. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. But it's hard and it's frightening. We thank you that you brought us here this weekend with a bunch of other people who want to be changed, who want to be transformed, and maybe who are frightened. Help us to find some companions for this journey. Open our eyes that we would see you clearly, that we'd see that burning bush in our life and go, that seems weird. I'm going to turn aside and see what this is. Open our ears that when you speak, we would hear it. And open our hearts that we would understand so that we're not like Moses, that we don't fight you and say, here's all the reasons that what you said won't work or that I'm not good enough to do what you've called me to. But instead, that we would understand and that we would be like you and that we would say, I'm humble and obedient. Tell me what it is you want me to do and I will trust that you will work in me to accomplish that thing. In your name, amen. Thank you, Matt.